The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, and this is the word of the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, and this is our uh, sermon text uh, for this morning, Luke 8, 1 through 15. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in a good, in an, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruits with patience. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There are some people when they hear uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, um, they are convicted of their sin. They see uh, their need for a savior. Uh, They believe in the message of the cross and they put their faith in Christ. Uh, They turn from their sin. Uh, Their lives are transformed. Uh, They go on to lead lives of fruitful service in the kingdom of God. Uh, But that doesn't describe everybody uh, who hears the word of God, who hears the gospel, does it? Uh, 
Uh, There are some people who hear the very same message of the gospel. Perhaps they hear even the very same sermon. And it makes no more lasting difference in their lives than if they had just heard the weather report on the radio. And why is that the case? How do you account for the fact that different people will respond in such completely different ways uh, to the very same message of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ? I mean, the message of the gospel, it is equally applicable to all people. We are all in desperate need of salvation. We all need Christ to be saved. Uh, The gospel message is equally urgent for all people. Apart from Christ, there is no hope for salvation. We are perishing in our sin apart from Jesus and the salvation that God gives us in Christ. And yet, this good news is not equally received by all people. We might be tempted to think, in answer to this question, that, well, maybe some people are just smarter than others. And so naturally, they respond to the message of the gospel with faith. But the problem with that way of thinking is that the gospel is not an intellectual puzzle that only the very clever can piece together. On the contrary, the message of the gospel is simple enough for a child to grasp and to understand. And the truth is, nobody rejects the gospel because they cannot understand it. In fact, some people reject the gospel because they understand it only too well. They know that it is not only the announcement of good news, that in Jesus Christ there is salvation from sin and death, but they know that in the gospel there is a call to submit our lives to uh, the authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ, and this they will not do. And so unbelief is not an intellectual problem. It is not because people cannot grasp the concept of the gospel. But unbelief is always a moral, a spiritual problem. And so it's not a question of intellect or intelligence, why some believe and others don't. Well, what about the possibility that it is a person's social standing, his economic status, his place in society... Uh, that determines whether uh, he will respond to the preaching of Christ. Uh, Maybe uh, the poor, the oppressed, those who have suffered uh, in this life will more naturally respond to the good news of the gospel, whereas those who are rich and powerful and enjoy the status of the privileged in this world will reject the claims of Christ. Now, there is at least some truth in that. There, There is a grain of truth in that. Uh, Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But as true as that is, it doesn't explain the fact why in the church you have both rich and poor. And among the unbelieving world, you have both rich and poor. Uh, Among the saved, there are people of all kinds of economic uh, status, place in society just as there is in the unbelieving world. Well, maybe the answer has something to do with the one who preaches the gospel. Uh, Could it be that people will respond to the message of the gospel if they hear it from uh, someone who is extraordinarily gifted, a dynamic preacher, a powerful speaker, who can impress the claims of Christ upon the hearts of people uh, with great power? Well, God can certainly use... uh, powerful preaching uh, to bring his people uh, into the kingdom. 
But whether they will respond or not does not depend on the, the power of the preacher. Uh, one of the most uh, effective, one of the most powerful preachers who ever lived was the 18th century evangelist, George Whitfield. And there's no doubt that God used him to bring many, many people into uh, the kingdom because of his preaching. But at the same time, not everyone received him and his message. He and his followers were often attacked by angry mobs. At one point, Whitfield was pelted with stones uh, to the point where he nearly died. And so not everybody embraced the gospel message, even though it was preached by this extremely gifted uh, preacher. So why is it that some will enthusiastically embrace the gospel and be profoundly changed by it, while others, the gospel just kind of bounces right off of them? They just go on living as though they had never heard of Jesus. Well, the answer to that question is found in this parable that Jesus taught, uh, the parable of the sower. And Jesus teaches that the human heart can be compared to a kind of soil and the kind of soil that is uh, in the heart of a person or that makes up the heart of a person uh, will determine whether the seed of the gospel will be received and whether it will bear fruit or whether it will ultimately bear no fruit or, or never take roots. And this was a lesson that was uh, particularly appropriate uh, for Jesus uh, to teach his disciples at this point in his ministry. Uh, Luke says in verse 1 that Jesus was going through the cities and the villages of Israel. Uh, verse 1, he was proclaiming and bringing, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, he says in verse 4 that a great crowd uh, was gathering and, and people from town after town came to him. And so the disciples, as they're following Jesus, as they're watching him in his ministry, they are seeing that, that a great many people, a great variety of people from all walks of life are, are coming to him to hear his message. And they surely would have taken note of the fact that, that people responded differently. Uh, some believed in Christ and became faithful followers. Uh, Luke mentioned some of the women who were uh, the most devoted uh, followers of Jesus. Others would follow Jesus for a while, but then uh, seemingly, for whatever reason, they would fall away. And still others rejected Christ and would have nothing to do with his message uh, at the very moment that they heard it. And so Jesus taught this parable to explain to his disciples what was really taking place when the gospel was preached, the good news of the kingdom that he proclaimed. Jesus taught this parable to show what really happens and this parable not only explains what happened then um, in response to the preaching of Christ, but what happens today as well when the gospel is preached. And what happens or what has happened throughout the history of the church. Many, many people have heard the gospel. Many, many people have heard the good news. This message from heaven that there is salvation only in Jesus Christ, but there is salvation for all who come to him. And yet... Some have believed and some have rejected that message. And the reason has everything to do with the condition of the hearts, has everything to do with the hearts in man. And not only that, as we'll see, it has everything, ultimately has everything to do with the work of the sovereign God who prepares the hearts. 
So the scene that Jesus depicts in this parable would have been very familiar uh, to the people who heard it. Um, he says a farmer goes out in his uh, field to sow seed. Um, every time I hear this parable or read it, um, I'm reminded of a statue that, um, that we saw uh, every day, when, or not every day, but often when we lived in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, if you're a college football fan, you know that Norman, Oklahoma is the home of the University of Oklahoma. And on the campus of that university, there's a large uh, statue uh, of a sower. And it's a man who's taking great strides, walking through his field. He's got his bag over his shoulder and his hat on, and he's casting the seeds uh, into the field. And uh, this would have been a very familiar sight uh, to the people in Jesus's day, a farmer uh, sowing seeds. And according to Jesus, the seed uh, that the sower is sowing is the word of God. And specifically what Jesus meant by that is not just uh, the word of God, you know, what the word teaches and so on. But specifically, it meant the good news, the gospel proclamation. For Jesus, that meant this, the good news that with his coming, with his arrival, that the kingdom of God had arrived. That the hopes of Israel were now to be fulfilled in the person of Christ. The good news of the coming kingdom. It is here. It is here with Christ. And for us, the gospel message is the same, but it's been expanded because we live after the death and resurrection of Christ. For us, the gospel message is that Jesus is the Son of God. And his coming means that we can be brought into his kingdom because he is the one who died for us. He is the one who takes away our sins. He is the one who was raised to new life for us so that whoever comes to Jesus Christ by faith will be saved We'll have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. This is the message. This gospel is the message that Paul says is the power of God, the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. But not everyone believes. It all depends on what kind of soil that seed lands in. Uh, The first soil that Jesus mentions is really not a soil. I guess you could say it's a soil, but it's really packed earth, very packed earth. It's the it's the the path uh, running through a field or alongside a field that that people would walk down. And the seed that falls on that path, it's immediately trampled uh, by the people who are walking on it. And then the birds of the air, they swoop down from the sky and they pick up the seed and, and take it away. And Jesus says that this uh, parable or this the soil represents uh, those who hear uh, the word of God. They hear it, but the word never takes root. Uh, no sooner has it landed in the heart of that person than uh, the enemy, the devil, swoops down and takes it away. And we've seen this, haven't we? Uh, perhaps you have had the experience when uh, perhaps you have come to faith in Christ later in life, and so that that uh, conversion was a very dramatic uh, thing for you. And you can remember uh, a whole world being opened up when you came to faith in Christ and you shared that good news uh, with a friend, uh, just knowing that he too will embrace Christ as you have and he doesn't care. He wants to talk about baseball or whatever. He could care less. For some people, the word of God just rolls off their back like water off a duck's back. And the reason for this is because the devil takes the word away from their hearts. 
And the reason why the devil does this is because he's no dummy. He knows the Bible. He knows that the word of God, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. And so he removes that seed of the gospel as soon as it is implanted in the hearts of some people. And so in verse 12, they may not believe and be saved. And so when a person hears the gospel, he thinks nothing of it. It's because Satan has swooped down, plucked up that seed from his heart. Uh, for this reason, you might, uh, you might say that uh, Sunday is Satan's busiest day of the week. Um, you might even say that uh, he is most faithful of all people to be a church on Sunday. Because he will, for whomever God permits, he will pluck that seed of the word of God out of the heart of those who hear it. The second soil that, Je- that Jesus describes is what he calls the rock. And this, this refers uh, to a thin layer of soil right on top of a hard limestone. And from above, from the sower's perspective, it looks like good soil. Um, and so, of course, he casts a seed on that soil. But the problem is, because that soil is so thin, as soon as the seed begins to take root... Uh, it cannot live very long because there's not enough moisture and nutrients in that thin layer of soil uh, to sustain the life of the plant. Uh, Jesus says that this soil stands for those who they do enthusiastically, they, they joyfully uh, respond in faith and belief to the preaching of the gospel. But after a time of testing, they fall away from it. They have nothing in them. There's no roots. There's no substance to their faith that can sustain that can sustain them in these times of testing uh, most likely what jesus means by times of testing refers primarily uh, to affliction or persecution or suffering that we may experience because we are christians uh, but i believe we can uh, expand this to any kind of affliction that we may suffer in this life uh, when we suffer our faith is tested Your faith is tried when you suffer. And if you are not deeply rooted in the word of God, you are at risk of falling away. As a runner, I've run uh, a lot of uh, road races or fun runs over the years. And it's always predictable uh, what happens the first half mile or so. There'll be a few people, uh, usually young men or teenagers, and the first half mile or so, or or when the gun uh, goes off, I mean, they're like the thoroughbreds at the Kentucky Derby, you know, when the gates open, I mean, they're flying out of of the start line. Then about a half mile later, they start to fade. Then about three quarters of a mile, you know, they're barely moving. And so the runners who know how to pace themselves, they're just picking off these runners one by one as as the race goes on. But they have no endurance. They went out way too fast. And that's a good analogy because the Bible does tell us that the Christian life is a race. Uh, Paul says at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But if the Christian life is a race, it is definitely not a hundred meter dash. Uh, It's a marathon. It's an endurance test. A Hebrew says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And along the way in this race of faith, every Christian, every single one of us will experience all kinds of trials and and troubles and difficulties. 
And those who are not grounded in the word of God, those whose hearts are like shallow soil, are liable liable to, to fade and even to fall away. And why is that? Because they are not rooted deeply in the life-giving, the life-sustaining grace of God. Will you remain faithful to Christ when God and his providence is pleased uh, to bring you into a time of great uh, difficulty and suffering? When you're diagnosed with a disease, when a loved one dies suddenly, uh, when some other personal tragedy befalls you, uh, there are some who have professed faith, but they, they become spiritually undone uh, by something like this. And the problem was that their hearts were not really good soil. They were not deep soil. There was rock beneath the sur- surface. And so their faith could not withstand uh, those uh, difficulties. Uh, the, third ty- the third type of soil in which the seed falls is that which contains thorns or weeds. Um, if you're like me, you know, and you have a yard, and you're trying to grow grass, um, you know that the summertime is just like one long, ongoing battle against the weeds uh, that you know, pop up everywhere. Uh, not only are they unsightly, but the weeds uh, will crowd out uh, the grass that you're trying to grow because they take up all the, the moisture and the nutrients. And this is the kind of uh, problem that Jesus describes here. Uh, the seed is sown, uh, but it's sown in the soil that's, that's riddled with weeds. And so once it begins to grow, it's gradually choked uh, by the thorns um, that are all around it. And so it never matures. It never bears fruit. And Jesus explains the meaning of this when he says that the thorns stand for, he says in verse 14, the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And so just as weeds can suck up all the, all the water and the everything good in the soil that the plant needs to survive. So the the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life can suck up all the mental and the spiritual, the heart strength that otherwise we would be giving uh, to Christ. The ordinary cares of life, we all know how consuming these can be. These aren't necessarily things that are like tragic or Uh, Times of great suffering, but just the day-to-day, the mundane concerns and cares and worries that we all carry with us. Those financial questions, uh, questions about the the future, uh, looking for a job, looking for a school, uh, relationship struggles, the, the struggles that we have with our loved ones or our friends sometimes, health issues, how easily all of these concerns can can so consume all of our thoughts, all of our energy. And when that, when that happens, we become spiritually stunted and unfruitful. And it's not because we have set out deliberately and purposefully to ignore Christ, to neglect his word. But it's just because all of our energy is being sapped and taken up with these cares of the world. And as a result, we have no time, no desire for prayer for the word of God, for worship, for fellowship, because we are consumed with the cares of this world. And that danger that Jesus describes, it's only intensified to the it's only intensified when he also adds to the cares of the world what he calls the riches and pleasures of life. 
And this is where I believe this parable is speaking most directly to you and me in our situation today. This is where the parable hits home the closest for us. We live in a very relatively secure time and a very prosperous time relative to other times in history, other people in the world. And so we are bombarded on every side in this life with temptations uh, to fill our time, to fill our days with the riches and pleasures of life, uh, entertainment, uh, diversions, uh, wealth, possessions, travel, uh, you know, good experiences, good times. Uh, the world offers all of these things to us in abundance. And the more that I give myself to all these things, the less that I give myself to Christ. And I begin spiritually uh, to wither, to starve, to die. Again, it's not because I have set out to deny the faith. It's not because I have deliberately decided to, to be unfruitful or to uh, neglect uh, Christ and his word. But it's because I'm filling myself with all the riches and the pleasures of this world that, that the word gets choked. And notice how seemingly harmless these things are that Jesus describes with this third soil here. How, how seemingly innocuous they are compared to uh, the other things that he describes that could kill the seed. Uh, first, he talks about the devil, Satan, uh, who comes down and snatches the seed out of a person's heart. Then he talks about a, you know, affliction, uh, particularly persecution, uh, that can cause somebody to fall away. You know, what, what is the, the ordinary cares and riches and pleasures of this life compared to the power of the devil or compared to those who persecute the church? And yet these things are just as lethal, just as deadly to the Christian faith. Faith can be choked to death. It is a slow death. Or if it does not die, it's, it produces no fruits. In other words, distraction can destroy faith or at least cause a Christian to bear little to no fruit. But Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He says, busyness kills more Christians than bullets. And so whatever cares, whatever pleasures, whatever pursuits in this world, even those that are good in themselves, whatever it is that uh, distracts you or causes you to be sidetracked from your walk with Christ, whatever it is that turns you aside from the path of obedience, whatever it is that keeps you from a wholehearted, from a single-minded devotion to your Savior, uh, this is a, a thorn. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about, and it is a serious challenge uh, to our faith. Finally, there is the good soil. Uh, Jesus says that this represents, in verse 15, uh, hearing the word and holding it fast in an honest and good heart and bear, and bear fruit with patience. And those who uh, bear fruit um, with patience, uh, they don't just bear a little fruit. But Jesus says that they bear a hundredfold yield of fruit. Uh, to the people who heard this parable, this would have been extraordinary. I mean, a bumper crop might be uh, seven to ten times uh, of fruits, you know, compared to the seed that they have sown. But here is a hundredfold. That would have been amazing. But God's grace is amazing when, the, when he causes 
the seed of his word to be implanted in the heart that is like this good soil that is receptive, that receives the word, that embraces the Christ who is preached. God's grace is amazing. He produces an abundance of fruit, the fruit of worship and obedience and joy and love and Christ-likeness. So here is the reason why people respond so differently to the preaching of the gospel, why people responded so differently to Jesus then, why people respond so differently today. It's because in the breast of every human being, there is a heart that is either good soil or bad soil. But that brings us to another question that that doesn't really satisfy our question. Why is it? Why is it that some people have a heart that Jesus calls uh, good soil and others have a heart that is bad soil? And the answer that the scripture gives to that question is it's the grace of God. Purely the grace of God. Because by nature, not a single one of us is born with a good heart. There's not a single one of us here that is born with a heart that is naturally receptive to the gospel, that naturally rejoices in the preaching of Christ. By nature, we all have a heart that will reject the gospel in unbelief. And that's because of our sin. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so when Jesus says that the good soil stands for those who hear the word and they hold it fast uh, in an honest and good heart, uh, he's not describing the natural heart or the natural disposition of any person. Rather, he's describing the heart that has been prepared by the sovereign work of the Spirit of God to receive that word in faith. He's describing what Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, called a heart of flesh. Uh, This was the promise that Ezekiel and the Lord through him made to the people of Israel. Ezekiel 36, 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so when any person, when any sinner hears the word of God, believes it, responds in, in faith, repentance, obedience, Uh, This is a miracle. This is the fruit of the supernatural, omnipotent work of God the Spirit in the heart of that person to prepare him or her to receive the word. It is all the grace of God. And Jesus refers to this, this sovereign, gracious work of God in the hearts of his people when he tells his disciples in verse 10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. It was given. Jesus says to his disciples, it is given. You have received by grace. It has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. In other words... God has given you this gift to understand. He's enabled you to do so. But if that grace is given to some, that grace is withheld from others. Uh, You could say what what Jesus said. You could say the opposite is true. Uh, To others, it is not given to know the secrets of the kingdom. 
And so God, in his sovereign good pleasure, according to his perfect wisdom, it is his will to give this heart of flesh to some and not to others. And Jesus says this is why he taught in parables. He taught in parables not only to reveal, to reveal the truth of the kingdom of God to those whom God has prepared to receive it by faith, but he also taught in parables in order to conceal, to conceal the truth from those who could not and would not believe it. And so for those who refuse to hear the truth, the parables are really a judgment. This was God's judgment against them for their unbelief. The parables themselves would be used by God in order to further harden those whom he passes over in their unbelief. And so he quotes the prophet Isaiah in verse 10, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is hard teaching. But this is what Jesus teaches about the word of God in this parable. Um, Or is teaching about parables that it reveals truth to those whom God is prepared to hear it, but it also conceals the truth. It becomes a kind of judgment against those who will not hear it. And so what should we take from this parable of the sower? First of all, this is an occasion for us uh, to examine our own hearts, uh, to ask ourselves, have I truly believed in the gospel? Is my faith in Jesus Christ? Have I responded by acknowledging my sin, repenting of it, asking for forgiveness, Submitting myself to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's not the case, then ask God for a new heart. Ask the Lord for a good heart, one that will believe in his word that you may come to know Christ as your Savior from sin and death. And the gospel offer is whoever believes, whoever comes to Christ, he will receive, he will give new life. And next, you should give thanks to God for his grace to you in Christ. If you have believed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life, again, if this parable teaches anything, it is because we are no different, no better than others. It's not because we're smarter than others. It's not because we're uh, more pious than others. It's because God has been merciful. He's given us a heart to believe the truth. And so all praise, all thanks uh, goes to God as one who has been given this grace to hear the word. You are called now to give thanks uh, to the Lord, to thank him for this grace. And along with giving thanks to God, to ask him that he will continue to give you this grace that you may As the parable describes, you may bear fruits, bear fruit even a hundredfold uh, to the glory of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Let's pray.